All right, how was that? Was that a good look back to the week we had? And just like that, we're back <laughs> in a moment of time. Um, maybe for some of us, it's not a big deal coming back here, but I know for the people who have been doing setups and the people who have been doing worship, wow, it's so much less work this morning, isn't it? <laughs> and... Um, you know, I really appreciate what they've done and how they've been surfing in the church, the production team and the, and the worship team. And I know a lot of us already know this and is practicing this already, but uh, oftentimes the best way to show our appreciation isn't just pat on the back and say, hey, thanks. But it's really to ask, hey, how can I come alongside and help you? How can I be of help? And I know a lot of you have been doing that. So what a great way to be able to practice community, right? Well, this week, um, while I was preparing for the message, I've been thinking about walls, just a little bit about walls. And I've been thinking about the walls we have here. And do you guys remember when this place was first uh, renovated? Uh, I think for some of us, including myself, I'm finding a hard time to figure out where the doors were. For example, do you guys know that there's actually a hidden door here? There's actually one here. <laughs> there's one there, and then, you know, there's several there. And you don't realize it after a while because you got used to all of these doors, uh, you know, flush to the wall. But whenever there are newcomers that come along and they ask, where's the bathroom? You know, and then you realize that, oh, yeah, uh, don't try to feel the door. Let me open the door for you. It's just right there. Um, the reason why I've been thinking about walls, it's... Uh, so last week, I brought up a movie reference about milkshake, and nobody got it. <laughs> I don't know anyone <laughs> actually tried to figure it out. Don't worry about it. This week, I'm going to bring up another movie reference, but this time I'm going to tell you which movie it is. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so in this movie, it's, it's, it's a long time ago, but it's a pretty famous movie. Some of you may have watched it. It's called Shawshank Redemption. How many of you have watched that? Nobody, okay, all right. <laughs> or maybe someone, okay. <laughs> but a little too shy to <laughs> admit. But anyway, you don't, you don't need to have watched the movie. Uh, this movie uh, is about prison life. It's about prison life. And uh, in this movie, there was a prisoner uh, who's been locked up for over 50 years. I don't know if you remember this. Um, and his job at this prison was a librarian, a pretty respectable job within a, a prison walls as a prisoner. So he was well-respected uh, by other inmates and also guards as well. But one day, he realized that he was going to be set free. He's no longer going to be in prison anymore. And you know what he did? He freaked out. He freaked out. He freaked out to a point that he almost killed one of his inmate friends uh, within prison. Now think about this. Freedom wasn't free for this man. Freedom wasn't free for this man because he couldn't imagine a life outside of what he's been used to for all these decades. Now Morgan Freeman is part of this movie. Um, maybe that's one reason worth watching. So his character in the movie said this. He said, these walls meaning the prison walls, are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them, and enough time passes, 
You get so used to them, you depend on them. And he says, that's institutionalized. That's institutionalized. Now, people who become institutionalized um, are not only prisoners. There are people who have gotten so used to living under a set of rules in an institution that they become less and less able to think or act otherwise. They depend on those rules and those routines. And for someone who has been institutionalized by the prison system, it may mean that they would find it difficult to live independently outside, to find work or to buy food for themselves. They may also find it difficult to integrate into society and maintain relationships with people outside of prison, uh, even though they may be their friends or family. And just so that you know, we're not just talking about prison, so that you don't think that our walls are prison walls. I mean, the idea of institutionalized also goes into schools and uh, other areas as well. So I've, I've heard from someone uh, who's shared this with me, uh, that those who have been through boys-only school, they have a tough time interacting with girls and women in their work, workspace. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a either girls-only or boys-only school. Coming out of it, you realize you don't have the set of skills to interact with the opposite gender. How about Christians and the church? Could we become so institutionalized in our thinking that it threatens or works against the way we live out our Christian faith? So last week, um, we were at retreats, and on Saturday, we looked at how the issue of community is really tied to the issue of the gospel. We all remember that, right? Uh, and what that means is that while God had created all of us, humankind, for community, our sinful nature leads us to think of community only as a way to benefit ourselves. Okay? We think of it as transactional is what we used. And we stick to these selfish thoughts. Now remember this chart? And behaviors, thoughts and behaviors, because we hold on to false beliefs, and these are some examples of them, about ourselves, about others, and about God. And instead of worshiping God and trusting in His sovereignty over every aspect of our lives, we turn to the wrong sources of hope and trust. We turn to comfort. We turn to control, we turn to power, we turn to success and accomplishment for that source of hope. And then we looked at John 15. We looked at this famous passage and how Jesus himself provided the solution for a deeper and healthier community. And the solution for each of us is that we each abide or attach or be in union with Christ, that we stick to Jesus and this allows each member of the community to then draw directly from him this life-giving power to help us truly love one another. So we remember all that. Today, we're going to look and revisit this idea, this whole idea of abiding in Christ, this whole idea that we are uh, in Christ so that we can love one another, okay? 
And we're going to visit this concept by looking at Paul's letter to the Church of Galatia. In particular, we'll be looking at chapter 5. Now, if you remember, this letter uh, to the church was written during a time that the church was arguing and having conflict with each other over an issue, the issue of circumcision. And Jewish Christians back then prided themselves on their obedience to this command from the Old Testament. They argue that even non-Jewish Christians should be circumcised in order to prove that they were true followers of Jesus and true followers of this faith. And so Paul summed up the matter in this one verse. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Should we read it together? Let's read it together. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Faith working through love. So this morning, you're not going to hear me speak that much because I'm going to show you a video. Um, and this video uh, will feature Pastor Kyle Eidelman, uh, who's a senior pastor of Southeast Christian Church at Louisville, Kentucky, so that we can continue to have this retreat feel by being on the field of Kentucky where he summarizes the teaching of Galatians 5 for us. Um, I want to ask that we pay attention to what it takes to live a full, fruitful Christian life. I was recently visiting with someone who was new to our church. He had uh, been out of church for several decades. He'd stopped going when he was in college, and all these years later, he was reluctant to give it another chance. I asked him what it was that made him quit, what made him walk away, and here's what he said. He said, when I was growing up, I felt like every Sunday we would go to church, and the message was always the same. I said, well, can you summarize that for me? What message do you feel like you heard every weekend? And here's what he said. He said, the message I heard every Sunday was, thanks for playing, try again next week. And immediately I recognized what he was talking about. Every weekend at church, every message was, hey, try harder. You're just not trying hard enough. If you tried a little bit harder, maybe you'd be good enough. Paul's message to these Christians in Galatia is that you have been set free to live free. Now that means living differently. As sons and as daughters of God, we want to live lives that honor our Heavenly Father and reflect the name that we've been given. But the challenge is that doesn't happen by simply trying harder. So here's the way we could say this, that we have been set free to live different and living differently is not about trying it is about relying. See, religion and the law, as we've seen, want to put the emphasis on human effort and on self-determination. But look, the good news of the gospel is that it's not about trying harder, it is about relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. The church in Galatia had been set free. They had been set free to live these empowered lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, but instead of 
trying to do it themselves, they needed to learn to rely on the spirit that they had been given. And Paul is frustrated because they're missing out on this power from the Holy Spirit. They're insisting on this self-help approach. And so he writes to them in Galatians 3, verse 3, and here's what he says. He says, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal, which is this right standing with God? Are you trying to attain your goal by human effort? And Paul goes to great length to make the case that the self-empowered approach, the law and the works, it, it doesn't bear the right kind of fruit in our lives. So here's a visual metaphor that helped me as I was trying to understand what the religious approach to living differently looks like. So <clears throat> imagine it this way. Imagine an electric power strip and it has a number of outlets on it that you can plug various things into. So let's just say this power strip is for your office. And so one outlet is for the printer and one outlet is for a phone charger and one is for a monitor and so on. And you plug all these things in and you get down on this power strip to one last outlet and you think that's perfect and you plug the power strip into itself and nothing happens. Why? Because the power strip doesn't have any power in and of itself. But this is what most of our lives end up looking like when we're taking the religious approach. Everything is harder than it should be. Everything is more of a struggle than we thought it would be. Being patient and kind, gentle, self-controlled, it just, it just all seems like so much work. But maybe the reason we can't get the power we need is because we keep trying to um, self-generate it. And so in Galatians 5, Paul talks about the fruit the fruit of a life that is plugged in to the power of the Spirit. And the metaphor he uses here, this fruit metaphor, it's what happens in our lives naturally. It's what our lives naturally produce when we're living out of God's power rather than our own. It's the fruit that shows where our roots are. And the first and the biggest thing that Paul wants to point out is that the fruit of the gospel in our lives is selflessly serving other people. So let's look at what Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 13 and 14. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And later in Galatians 5, Paul warns the Galatians about what he calls the acts of the sinful nature. And he explains the reason, the reason we don't do what we wanna do and the reason we do what we don't wanna do is that we have this sinful nature in each one of us. And then in verses 19 through 21 of chapter five, Paul gives some examples of that sinful nature. Now this isn't an exhaustive list, but he just gives some ideas of what might be included. So he talks about sexual immorality. He talks about uh, fighting and jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness. And as you read through that list of the sinful nature, for most of us, you know, it just describes a bunch of things that we don't want to describe us. But maybe you would say, I've tried. I've tried not to do those things. I've, I've tried to get rid of the lust and the sexual immorality. I've tried to control my temper. 
and you hate it. I mean, you hate it when you have an outburst of anger and you've tried not to be jealous and you've tried not to be selfish. You've tried to stop drinking and religion would say, well, try harder. Religion would say, thanks for playing. Try again next week. You're just not trying hard enough. But here's what Paul says. He says, living differently is not about trying harder. It is about relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, he says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. In verse 17, he says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And then he says that there are these two forces that are constantly fighting each other. And he says, this is the reason why you don't carry out your good intentions. So in other words, the fruit of the gospel in our lives is that we are becoming free from sin. Maybe you've heard it put this way before. It's not that you are sinless, but it's that you sin less and less. And if we try to do it ourselves, I mean, you know what it's like. You're constantly fighting with yourself. You're held prisoner by your own desires. But if we plug into the spirit in our lives, then he changes things. But Paul doesn't just talk about the behaviors that we should avoid. He goes on to talk about the fruit that we can expect to grow in our lives when we are plugged into the Holy Spirit. And these are the qualities that I think many of us have tried and tried to grow in. But Paul explains that these qualities are actually a fruit that comes from God's power. In verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. And so the fruit of the gospel in our lives is the kind of life that you and I, kind of life we've always wanted to live, where we're finally free to become who we've wanted to be all along. Back in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul reminds the people that they have received the power of the Holy Spirit and he asks them this rhetorical question. He says, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not, he says. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit has been given and is available to all who believe. But Paul's frustration with these believers is that too often this incredible gift is going unused and unopened and trying to find the power to live their lives differently and please God through religion. It's, it's like trying to drive a car. It could be a nice car. I don't know, a Mercedes S-Class, but it doesn't have any gas. And you might look impressive to the people around you, but you know, I mean, you know that you're not really going anywhere. And I can't help but wonder if that's what happens sometimes in church. Uh, people come to the right place they're empty and they know they need something more, but instead of being filled with the power they need, they're told, hey, thanks for playing, try again next week. And it doesn't take very long for them to hit empty. And so Paul says, the way that you defeat your sinful desires and the way you grow in the Spirit is not by trying harder, but instead it's by relying on the Spirit. Verse 16, he says, live by the Spirit, in verse 25, he expands on that just a bit. And he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step 
with the Spirit. It's the picture of someone who is walking and every step they take, every day, is in the Spirit. You can't keep in step with the Spirit if you only acknowledge His presence one day a week when you go to a worship service. Relying on the Spirit means that you are every day keeping in step. And if you plug into that, you'll find that you have the power to live the full and the fruitful life for Christ that you've always wanted. Keeping in step, keeping in step with the Spirit will ensure that we have the power to live a full and fruitful Christian life. Is that what we all heard? This is the same teaching as, as Jesus, as when Jesus tells his disciples to abide in him. Now, at the beginning of the video, uh, Kyle Eidelman shared a conversation he had with someone who had given up on Christian community, given up on church. And he shared this, that the message he heard at church every Sunday was this. It could be summed up as, thank you for playing. Try again next time. I don't know how many of you have thought that way. I certainly have thought that way growing up as a Christian in my church. Thanks for playing. Try again next time. Now, I'm aware that in Hong Kong or anywhere that you were from, we live in a world that celebrates self-actualization. Um, self-actualization. In fact, our society idolizes those who have made it with their own effort. And so when it comes to being a Christian, we have this, this knee-jerk reaction, Right? It's to always rely on ourselves, rely on ourselves. And we tell this to people too. It's like, hey, you should rely on yourself. And it doesn't help when, um, you know, these, when we read these verses with that mindset in mind. Um, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ. And let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I mean, what, what do you think about these commands? You know, think for a minute how difficult it is to actually follow these commands. And you know, one good way to actually think about it is to imagine actual people in your head, actual people in your life. Think of their faces and imagine you practicing these things on them. Are you feeling the tension already? So how do we actually respond when confronted with these kinds of demands and expectations at church? Now, do we, as Kyle Eidelman says about religion, that we try harder, you know, tell ourselves, I can do it. And those who respond this way may say, you know, I'm going to do that. You know, they have a high view of their willpower and moral ability. If they think they are succeeding, that's, 
fuel to their self-righteousness. You know, they, maybe they start thinking to themselves, hmm, if I can do this, why can't other people do it? Why can't others? You know, in one of the teachings, uh, Jesus mocks the way a Pharisee might pray. He says in Luke, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. That's the prayer of someone who's trying harder, trying, trying to do harder uh, to please God. Or do we respond like the person who has left the church and give up? We give up. Those of us who, who gives up may, may tell ourselves, there's no way, there's, there's no way I can do that. Either I've tried and I've failed or might as well not try. Um, these people think that these commandments are either too hard to follow or not even worthwhile trying because it might seem beyond them. In fact, have we thought about that this could also be a form of self-righteousness by thinking to themselves, I shouldn't have to keep the, the, these commandments. That's not for me. Now, Paul writes this uh, to another church in Ephesus that these people have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. These people are described as having a hardened heart. So you have the steel heart right there. Okay, so if neither trying hard nor giving up are the ways of the gospel, then what is? Then what is? Well, Paul says to the Galatian church, this verse that we just read, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Notice the precision of this phrase, faith working through love. Faith working through love. It is neither faith by itself nor love by itself. Either it is neither trying harder to love nor falling back on our faith and excuse as an excuse for my lack of love. It is faith working through love. Just as a good tree produces good fruit, true faith produces true love. And just as a branch cannot bear fruit without being attached to the vine, you must have faith in order to produce love. Now, the opposite is also true. Where there's absence of love, where there's no love, then there's absence of faith. When, you f when we fail to love one another in a community, the solution is not to simply try harder or should we give up. When we fail to love one another, it is actually an important indicator that there is lack of faith. Now, I'm going to end today with an exercise, but I'm not going to get you guys to do it. I'm going to be the subject of that exercise. You're going to get to know more about me through this exercise. I'm going to be trying to be vulnerable. But my encouragement is that you bring this exercise back to your community groups, your small groups, your um, prayer partners, your uh, men mentoring relationships. You bring it back and you do this. Take your time and do this. 
Uh, and hopefully that this becomes something practical for us in this community, for us to really dig deep, dig deep, like we go into the roots of that tree. We uncover the, the things that we are, 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 are false beliefs, and we are really able to then help each other to fully have faith in Christ so that love can flow out of us, okay? So this is the exercise. Um, step one, pick one biblical command that challenge you, challenges you the most, okay? This can be one of those commands that we've listed just now, those, those ones that we find very difficult. Um, pick one. And then ask yourself, as you seek to obey this command, do you tend toward trying harder or giving up? And then step three is, what would faith look like? Oh, sorry, what would faith working through love look like in this area? All right, so for me, uh, I'm going to pick this. Um, so one of the verses was from James chapter 1, verse 19. It says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, okay? The last part of the passage, slow to anger, really grabs my attention. Uh, most people have not seen me angry, I hope, um, but my wife and kids have definitely seen me angry, and you can ask them what that looks like. It shows up quite a lot more at home, as you can imagine. Uh, I acknowledge that I sometimes can be very driven by my various convictions, um, that is why I'm also known among my friends, if you're a close friend of mine, to be quite uptight, I, I admit. <laughs> Someone's laughing already. <laughs> um, it can be the smallest thing, and I just can't help but to be very serious about it. I'm just a super serious person. Uh, when I am convicted about something, though, I get easily worked up. And when it doesn't go my way, the more worked up I get. And over the years, I've learned not to show that side of me as much. Um, but I, deep down, I know that's a problem. That's a problem. So as I seek to obey this command, uh, which do I tend to lean on to? Is it trying harder or giving up? Well, I lean on trying harder. That's just who I am. I'm the fix-it-now kind of person. So what would faith working through love look like in this area? In other words, how does, how does my failure in this area, my lack of love, reveal a lack of faith? And where is there unbelief in my heart? And what good news about God and His grace um, am I not really believing? Well, I'm, what I'm starting to realize is that uh, when I become so sure of my convictions, whether it is apples should be red or oranges should be orange. I'm just making stuff up, but like convictions about this world. I, I leave very little space to listen uh, to the deeper desires and reasons behind other people's perspective. I, I realize that. In fact, I, I don't th even think that I'm giving myself enough time and space to fully understand my own desires and my own motivations behind the very strong convictions that I have about life. Why do I think that? You know, why do I think so strongly about certain things? My unbelief in God is revealed when I realize that I've been telling myself subconsciously that I need to be the person to fix it and fix it now. I, I need to have answers now. Like, I don't feel comfortable not knowing the answer. 
And some of these things that I've only realized from my wife, whom I've dated for seven years before we got married, and now it's been 10 years, oh, sorry, nine years, almost 10 years. Um, you know, I've only realized that when someone this close was able to tell me these things. And even then, I needed some other close friends at church uh, to affirm my wife's position <laughs> in order to confirm that in my own heart. So how might a deeper confidence and joy in God's love, in Christ's righteousness, in the Holy Spirit's presence work itself out in this greater obedience of this command? Uh, I, I want to I see things on track. That's my personality. I, I, want to, I want to see gaps filled. I want tasks to be taken care of. But I don't want to be that person who loves these things more than I love other people. Right? If I truly believe in a God who loves and accepts me while I was a sinner, and then he entrusts the gospel to me, even though I am so unworthy, then I think I could rest in him more and maybe change my daily task list, just change it, to help me take time and listen and to pray with other people. So hopefully that's a helpful illustration of how we can use this exercise with our groups, with our community. And then after that, close it with a prayer with someone, pray out loud, and for those who are willing, confess you know, our unbelief and ask that the Holy Spirit to convince us to, be more deep, to, to believe more deeply in the truth of the gospel so that we can truly be free. Okay? I hope this will be helpful. So to wrap up, uh, we go back to this, remember this uh, quote from Shawshank Redemption? Again, these, he says, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them, and then enough time passes, you depend on them. Well, while none of us here right now is physically locked in prison, um, but sometimes as Christians, we forget that we have true freedom in Christ and what that actually looks like. Sometimes that is a scary thought for us. And instead, we keep ourselves within the confines of our false beliefs. Like these hidden doors on these walls, we sometimes forget that there's a way out. We try to go around these walls and think, you know, this is the best place I can be. But no, there's actually a door and there's a way out. And praise God, you know, we have people in this gospel community who can help us and point out our blind spots. This is why God has made us for community. And at the beginning of Galatians 5, at the very, very beginning of Galatians 5, verse 1, Paul says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Remember this, um, Emmanuel Church, because we are in Christ, we no longer have to be afraid to let these false beliefs go. Just let them go and break free. All your shame and hurt have been crucified with Christ. That's the gospel truth. And it is a gift from God to be able to realize that we are not good enough. That is also part of the gospel truth. We're not good enough. And it is a gift from God to realize that, that we are at the end of our rope, 
And it is only with this realization that we can then be drawn near to Jesus, like a thirsty man looking for water and finding it, if you remember from Psalm 63. So do not be spiritually institutionalized and do not enslave ourselves to our old ways. Enjoy the true freedom we have in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we are thankful that your teaching is applicable. That your teaching to your disciples is something that we can live by today. That your gospel truth is still alive in the lives of your followers. Help us to trust and believe in that. Sometimes we just, we know that's true, we know that's right, and we just jump to that conclusion thinking that we have it, we have it, we have it. And we can do it. It's only because I haven't tried hard enough. But we have forgotten, we have forgotten the process of being plugged into you, keeping step with your spirit to abide and to attach to you. We have forgotten to do that We have forgotten that's what it takes for us to draw that life-giving power in order for us to follow these commandments, that these commandments of freedom. And so we repent. We come before you, God, and we repent of our ways. Help us to know what these old ways are so that we can break free from them. Help us not to hide behind these old ways, behind these walls. Help us to be set free, God. And God, as your Spirit speaks to each of us, us to open our eyes, our physical eyes, to see the people around us, that these are the people who can help us walk in step with you. These are the people who can reveal our sins, who can uncover these old false beliefs, and help to remind us to walk in freedom with you. Help us to celebrate community, God. Freedom, and so Lord, we want to offer up our lives back to you.